Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. I uh, hope you are all staying safe out there, social distancing, uh, keeping yourself, you know, as non-stir-crazy as possible. And today, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown, uh, one of my favorite guys to, to learn from. He's a great way to learn the game, awesome voice. Coach, how are you doing today? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being on. Yeah, no, of course, man. I uh, I was really psyched when I when I emailed you and, and you responded back. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm just amped. We're going to talk about the, the Pacers defense today, uh, kind of where they're at right now and how they can maybe improve moving forward. So I think, uh, first off, I just want to ask you how you feel about the defense right now. Uh, they're seventh in defensive rating. So, you know, it sounds, uh, it's decent, you know, it's, it's top 10. Uh, but at the same time, there are a lot of, uh, I think there are a lot of chinks in the armor. When you, when you look at, when you go over film, you watch games, and you can see it in advanced stats a little bit too. Sure. Well, I, mean, I think obviously the, the, the prism you want to look at it in is, is the playoffs, right? Like, because that's what's really going to happen when teams have multiple days to prepare and really try and, and uh, pinpoint the, the weaknesses. Uh, but, you know, seventh is, you know, top 10 in defensive rating, no matter what, is good. And I want to just give a little shout out to, um, to Nate, uh, oh my goodness, Nate. Um, Hey, Coach. McMillan, yeah. Nate McMillan, thank you. I mean, I'm like, I can see him in the Sonics uniform. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Nate McMillan um, for, you know, he, he would be the kind of poster child for, like, old school player, former player coach who, like, hasn't really evolved much and is still coaching the same way that, you know, we were coaching in the 90s. But he hasn't. I have to give him credit for that, at least defensively. Um, you know, what you see a lot of on um, the pick and roll, obviously, is where you want to probably go to first when you're looking at how the half-court defense works. And, you know, they play a very modern approach where they don't help one pass away and they drop the big and contain mm-hmm. uh, and chase around the ball screen, which is great to see. And, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, with those two things even, uh, that they would be very solid on the defensive end. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think what, what's been also really great as well is uh, – there hasn't re- well, I mean, there have been solid wings in, in the past. You know, Bojan Bogdanovich was a nice surprise uh, coming in and uh, filling in offensively and, and finding a role on defense. But TJ Warren this year has been incredible as a defender. Uh, he's not, you know, he's not going to be an all-defense type guy, but he went from being one of the lowest-rated defenders in the league last year in Phoenix to now uh, being a slightly above-average guy who was really, a, you know, just kind of filled out a good on-ball role. He still has some off-ball issues that – so technically not really like a big wing stop or anything. So one thing that I think I really want to dive into, people talk about Miles and, and, uh, and Domas in, in terms of how their offense looks, but where I see more issues on the defensive end, and there have been issues with the offense, but especially in the last game of the season, uh, I rewatched it again this morning, and, and uh, I've watched it a couple times uh, up against Boston. Uh, the defensive cross matches are currently a nightmare. For the front court um, and you really see that especially in the first quarter uh, Gordon Hayward was just a man on a mission and primarily because Domas was was out on him on the corner a lot and Hayward was getting some really easy drives off of that and was opening up passing lanes a lot so just dealing with a five-out system like that was you know almost impossible with those two no matter how well you schemed for it mainly what I would talk about is how, how do you even scheme around that well, you know, it's interesting because it's a delightfully old school lineup when they run uh, uh, Sabonis and Turner out there together. We don't normally see like the two sort of at least traditional looking big men. That said, Sabonis mm-hmm. handles the ball and he can shoot a little. Yeah, I don't know. Can we? We can't say he can shoot, can we? 
Oh, uh, he's a good mid-range shooter, but yeah, his his three-pointer hasn't been falling this year too well. Yeah, and you know, okay, mid-range is mid-range, whatever that is yeah. these days. So, you know, and, and in fact, Turner can probably shoot, you know, from 18 feet too it, it, to some degree. So, it, but it's delightfully, you know, old school to see that. But here's the weird thing. It's almost like as an overall thing, if they're going to run those two guys out there, you kind of think, well, let's take advantage of a lot of the smaller ball lineups by like maybe getting offensive rebounds. But it turns out they don't do that at all. And they are really highly ranked in transition. So there would tend to be a correlation between that where, okay, they're getting back instead of going through the offensive rebound. And that means that they're stopping teams better. Uh, and that's, that is a thing, but I don't know. It almost feels to me like they, they could use a lot more, like maybe offensive rebounding, you know, uh, attempts to like to bolster their offense. Now I know we want to talk about defense, but at least there, that, that's what jumped out at me right away because I think that they're 18th in offensive rating. And there's no better way to kind of jack that up by getting, you know, a bunch of extra rebounds. You know, so they drop from second in transition defense to ninth, okay? Mm-hmm. But then they might bump up about four spots or so on the, uh, on the other end. And that, that might be a fair trade-off, I think, um, going forward. So that's the first thing that jumped out at me by playing both these bigs together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And especially, too, uh, one thing that I've harped on before with, with my co-host uh, there isn't really a lot of offensive very vari- well. I don't want to say offensive variability, but offensive movement. So, like you look at a team like you know Boston. Uh, Boston is great with with ball movement and the flow of their offense and having a lot of action moving on. Most of the time, it's only two or three minute action going on in the Pacer offense. Uh, and you know, oftentimes Miles Turner is a spot up guy just out in the corner or at the top of the break, and, and Domas is is down the block. So, oftentimes we're just not really in position for offensive rebounding. And, uh, Miles is not a great offensive rebounder, and Sabonis is really the only kind of source of offensive rebounding. But, yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it just seems like they could pound people on the boards. I mean, really make it a thing because, I don't know, I mean, I think Turner is really active, and he's long, and he's tall. Like, he he could be a kind of guy who would be in there and really causing problems for the other team. And then, yeah, Sabonis is just physical, man. I mean, like, he gets 12 rebounds a game for a reason. And that certainly is one of his you know, attributes in the defensive end. Uh, I mean, I, it's nice to be positive when you can be positive, but there's not a lot, by the way, when I'm looking at like pick and roll defense from Sabonis, there's not a lot of great things to point out, honestly. You know, what he is good at is he can, you know, hunt a guy and like put a body on him and keep him and, get, and grab the rebounds. That's all good. Mm-hmm. But man, um, you watch Sabonis' uh, his stance and he just sort of drops and just kind of walks backwards and is not yep. in a position to, to be aggressive or to move and doesn't get his hands up a lot of the time to challenge shots. It drives me nuts when you see that. So obviously, if that's where you're, if I was a coach from another team, I'm in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, we would just mercilessly run pick and roll with whoever Sabonis is guarding and, uh, and, and, and probably get great shots every time. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that I'm, I don't want to say worried about, but it definitely is an area of concern uh, because, you know, you look at the rest of the defense and it holds up pretty well. Obviously, Victor's still rounding into form, but uh, when Brogdon's back, he's a, he's a capable defender. Warren, as we talked about, capable defender. And Miles is obviously great. Um, but I think there's actually a pretty good misconception about Domas's defense. You're totally right on pick and roll. He gets cooked in that, especially playing against fours. But as a five, I feel like he, he factors in a lot better as a defender. And he's not a traditional rim protector. Um, obviously, I mean, he doesn't have the verticality or the wingspan to do that, which Miles does. But at the same time, uh, Miles really struggles in the low post. So if he plays against, you know, Joel Embiid, where obviously, you know, there's only one Joel Embiid, but, you know, like if you if you if plays against a really physical center, like he's had trouble with Tristan Thompson his entire career, uh, Andre Drummond, um, Montrez Harrell has given him problems as well, Nikola Jokic, anybody like that, uh, he really struggles to, to protect the paint. Uh, 
Um, and so I think one thing that I really want to talk about is uh, I'm not trying to bring in the idea of trading either one of them, but at the same time, you look at it and is it, I mean, maybe it's more commonplace to build a, a defense around a true rim protector like Miles, but is it possible to build or how do you build a good defense around somebody like, like Demonis who isn't that conventional uh, rim protector? Well, you know, for a while now, we've seen top-rated defenses that have like a glaring hole at that position. You know, I mean, I can remember, I kind of have to rack my brains for a little bit more recently, but we've seen David Lee be on a, 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 as a power forward starting on the Warriors, and they were top defensive team. We saw Carlos Boozer do it. Now, this is a little bit before the more modern era, but mm -hmm. I know if I rack my brains, you know, I got a, the Cleveland Cavaliers defense is probably really bad with Kevin Love in there, but, uh, but he's not a bad example of a guy who, uh, you know, trades off a lot of the value that he does on the offensive end with giving it right back on the defense. And that's a big issue. Um, I, I wonder going forward how valuable a guy like Miles Turner really is. We saw the Rockets just jettison uh, Clint Capella, who mm -hmm. is a little bit of a similar version, although I would say Turner's got a much better offensive game overall. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, and he can he can get back and shoot shots as well. Um, and... Here, here's the thing. Like, if you, if the question came to me, like, who would you trade? Well, you, you trade Sabonis, I, I would think, because especially on the defensive end, you can. I, I've seen clips of Turner switch on the guards and like keep him in front, and he's he's cagey, and he he'll uh, he'll stunt at the ball, and he'll be in a good stance, and he'll challenge shots. Um, terrific stuff. Let me ask you this, because I noticed that uh, Sabonis has averages a little over three fouls a game. Mm. Um, is he, in my mind's eye, I'm picturing him in foul trouble or like certainly that is a fear. Is that an issue for him? Because I'm forgetting. Uh, he's gotten a lot better with that uh, this year because when he was primarily coming off the bench last year, his free, his, I'm not free throw, his foul rate was uh, terrible last year. Uh, he's yeah. gotten better with that this year, but I, I think a lot of it has been uh, a lot of his fouls that he's drawing, I mean that he, that are drawn on him is because he's matched up on a smaller guy who's a little bit quicker and uh, he fouls him going to the rim. Uh, so I think that's been part of the issue. His foul rate, I, I want to say that it's down. He's averaging 3.2 this year. It's like 3.1 last year, but he's playing way less minutes. Um, yeah. So I think that's a significant part of it. He's gotten better at that. Um, and, Miles, and by the way, there's no, there's no question. He got, he got better at that, at not mm -hmm. fouling, because he's just simply playing defense a lot less intently. So yeah. it's a trade-off, I guess. And again, he's doing so well for them on the offensive end that obviously staying on the floor is a really important thing for them. And that's the other question is, is that 18 and 12 offsetting what is going to happen in the pick and roll, for instance, like in the playoff series? That's a tough one. You know, 25 and 12, sure, you can give up points. Like, you know, Kevin Love was sort of in that realm. But if you're, if you're under 20 uh, and you're not nailing threes, uh, I would have some pause there. And, uh, and still, you know, if you're talking again, that's the notion of like even trading somebody, uh, you know, you always want to do it at the height of the value. And mm -hmm. I can't imagine Sabonis being rated much higher than he is now, you know, on a, on a surprisingly good, you know, decent playoff team. Um, and he's leading the team in scoring, I believe, right? I mean, I know Oladipo just came back. I think uh, uh, TJ Warren is up by like one point. He's, oh, is he really? Okay. Yeah. Just oh, yeah. Up. By the way, maybe he deserves a video. That's a nice surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, at any rate, you know, so and, and I feel like that only thing he's going to battle is, is, you know, as the modern game evolves, are they going to look at a guy like that who likes to post up and shoot mid-range and doesn't really play great defense? Like, where is that? Where is he going to fit? You know, it's always those guys like that who some, somehow, you know, Simonis have been scraping along and finding roles and finding a way to succeed but I don't know man at some point uh, in the next few years maybe uh, that could change rapidly 
Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. It's uh, the more that I've thought about it, having all this time off, um, I've definitely been coming closer to that conclusion, you know, thinking that there will eventually be a split up. And it, it's difficult without having the playoffs this year, because like you mentioned already, the, the playoff playoff atmosphere is where we're really going to see how things work out. Um, but, you know, moving towards that playoff atmosphere and kind of gravitating a little bit away from, from Miles and Domas, uh, Without having a true wing defender, like a, you know, not necessarily a complete lockdown guy, but you look at past Pacers teams, you know, you have Derek McKee, Ron Artest, uh, just some really great wing defenders. And especially with, with the way that uh, modern basketball has become wing dominated, especially on offense, uh, how can you become a championship level defense without having somebody who can really shut down the, well, I mean, you can't really shut down LeBron and Kawhi, but contain them at least a little bit. Um, you know, it's a really good question. And, you know, you can – you have to play with what you got. And yeah. if they don't have that, then they have to sort of design a system around that that, you, that can mitigate those issues. And while I would point to a guy like Nick Nurse in Toronto, he's got great defenders. And yet mm-hmm. even there, you watch him be really variable with, like, he plays zone, they press, they, they mix and match. They do really interesting things there that sort of keep the other teams on their toes – and it's something that a player, a team like uh, Indiana should be able to do as well. For that reason, um, even though they do lack, I mean, you know, uh, uh, let's see, Savonis is a bit of like a, a lumbering guy who's not going to cover a lot of ground. Um, I, I, by the way, I think that uh, Turner is leaving some, some, some things on the table. I feel like he could probably move even better uh, with different training and whatever, but he's already mm-hmm. got like fast twitch muscles. I see some good stuff from him that he can handle it. So at any rate, the point being that, um, you know, Zone defense is something that needs to be utilized a lot more. I feel like it could really affect things. Uh, they, you, you wouldn't press, obviously. I don't think, you know, with both of those big guys out there, that would be tough. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they obviously I go back to my standbys, which are don't help one pass away. And that's even, you know, a lot of times most teams will stick to that in, in off the corners unless it's a terrible shooter and, like, go ahead, you know, help as much as you like. But um, if you can stop that and you can also focus on stopping middle penetration, then you're going to do okay. Because where do the open threes come from? They come from uh, middle penetration off the dribble and then kicking it out for the open three. And if you can stop that and you got it, you got some size in there and you got Turner around the basket to help and stop uh, shots from around there, then you, then you have something. That, that will keep you uh, competitive. Uh, it's the teams that don't do that. They, they, you know, it gets their bigs into foul trouble when they get too much uh, middle penetration, gets way too many uh, open threes. And God forbid they start helping off uh, one pass away and it's an easy pass a high schooler can make for an open shot, uh, and that's when the whole thing starts to, to, to unravel. And I feel like that's the solution you're going to need uh, in the modern NBA. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm really looking at moving forward because, uh, well, I think this team can really make it on an offense. It's 18th in offensive rating, but when you look at half-court possessions, I believe it's 10th right now. Um, so in the half-court, we can make it. And especially, you know, you look at this team compared to last year, uh, much more shot creation. You know, TJ, uh, Malcolm, both guys who can incredibly hit. Uh, on their own, um, I think. Wait, oh, sorry. So when you say you got to make sure we say T.J. Warren and not. Oh yes, T.J. Warren, not T.J. McConnell or T.J. Leaf. Uh, but yeah, I love T.J. McConnell. He's good. Yes, I love. <laughs> I've loved having him. Just his his energy and uh, my my co-host Tom put it perfectly on our last episode. He's kind of a, a push the ball, think about it later. He just gets down the court and then he makes stuff happen. I love watching him play. Right. And not to be confused with TJ Leaf. Can you t- I'm going to hijack this for a second. Mm-hmm. Tell, I like him in UCLA. Like, can you tell me what's happening and why he's sort of not doing well? 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Gosh, we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, his confidence is just gone. And he has not improved at all as a defender. Uh, he can't defend the perimeter. He's not strong enough to defend the paint. Uh, he's a decent rebounder. But, I mean, his whole thing coming in was that he could stretch the floor. And he did that okay his rookie year. Uh, but he, he just has no, no confidence in his shot at all. And he was in the rotation for about the first probably 10 or 15 games and didn't really play consistent minutes at all after that. Um, so that's been kind of the TJ Leaf story. We were um, – I was a little bit surprised that, that the front office picked up his option. I mean, I understood just, you know, they were banking on maybe they could use him as a potential trade piece or something if he uh, if he extended his play out a little bit. But it's kind of interesting because uh, one thing that I talk about regularly is how this team really lacks a true four. There's no real lineup versatility with that. Uh, I mean, TJ's a, a, he's got the size to play the four, but he, he's not a good rebounder. Uh, he can't really defend larger fours. And same thing with Doug McDermott. And TJ was going to be that guy. It just hasn't worked out. Yeah, I, I feel like there's he can he might be able to find. But uh, it, and it's all the NBA is littered with players who just never quite get in the right situation on the right team, yeah. and then they never sort of pan out. And then you'll see uh, half of a, a player's career be that way, and then all of a sudden they finally find that, and then they flourish. Um, and I wonder if that's what's going to happen with him. I, I, I didn't because I, I whenever I would watch Clipper uh, Pacers game, sorry, they you, you, he wouldn't be out out there. And if, a quick glance at his game logs from this year it's like yeah i mean dmp coach decisions all over the place uh that's got to really you know screw around with your rhythm and the confidence for sure so um but i but i digress i sorry i hijacked the thing but no, you're back good. to what we were talking about no yeah no you're totally good that's what podcasts are for man um <laughs> yeah so i think you know just speaking on the playoffs more like uh we talked a little bit about boston but when when you're looking at at milwaukee who i think you know I try not to read in too much to pundits talking about uh, Giannis being gone. Right now he's there. I don't expect that to change. Uh, so I'm going to worry about him being there moving forward. Um, it, it's interesting because the way that the Pacers started to defend him, they were starting to put Miles Turner on him. But then that creates other issues because Brooke Lopez, uh, they, you know, that's another digression. I loved what uh, Budenholzer did this year and really starting to – kind of incorporate all of their pieces in the offense a little bit. And they really started focusing on once Giannis struggles a little bit uh, to get going, they, they move Brooke Lopez in, use him in the low post, because people forget how good of a low post scorer he is. And they really utilized that this year. Um, that was an issue as well in the, in, the, in the games that we played against Milwaukee, because when we had Miles switched on to on, onto Giannis, because you need a big body guy. I mean, you can't play a conventional wing against him for the most part. Um, but uh, how do we go about defending Milwaukee? Because they just have so much more up in size. Um, the shooting is really difficult to deal with, and especially with Sabonis, um, leaving corner shooters open all day is, is a major difficulty. I, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, listen, Milwaukee is the toast of the uh, East, and they were just destroying everybody. Um, I like playing the bigger player on, on Giannis because you just dare him to shoot. Uh, you know, I did a video at some point – uh, where I looked at the the one win loss splits, and the funny thing was, it was, it was that Giannis ended up shooting uh, horribly from three in their losses, and and decent, you know, thirty six, thirty seven percent in their wins. And when you look at the actual quality of threes, they're the same shots. So mm -hmm. it was almost like just you know pick whatever night it is when he decides to shoot well from the three, they're going to win, and if he doesn't, they're going to lose. Like in in some some respect that's, that's sort of a brief version of that and as a result it's like that's what you want to take your chance with so put a big guy on him let him have space and you know what if he makes 
you know, four out of eight, then tip your cap, you, you know, and, and come back the next for game two or whatever that will be. So that's a, that's a tough one. Now, other than that, uh, you know, like to beat Milwaukee, the, the, the only weakness they really have is, is, is Eric Bledsoe. Yep. And you got to get him in situations where he's the one making decisions and he's the one forcing the action. And if you can do that just enough, because here's the problem, if you do it well, and, you know, that's probably like by pressuring him a lot and sort of inviting him to drive and all that stuff, they're going to bench him. And now you're going to be, you got to deal with like George Hill, who's just going to play a lot better, you know what I mean, a lot more steady. And that probably makes it harder for the other coaches going against them. So you got, that would be like the real fine line I would have to try and balance is like how to get Eric Bledsoe to hurt his own team enough that uh, you can, you know, you can sneak out some of those games. Um, but it's a tough matchup. I mean, Middleton's the other guy, you know, who's really long at the, I mean, I guess he's a small forward, you know, when he plays, but it's like, he also has like, so almost a shooting guard feel to him sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, who was supposed to match up with the Pacers like that? I guess it's going to be Warren or who's long enough to match up with him. Yeah. I believe Warren played on Middleton the last two games. Uh, but yeah, see, that's, that's what the issue is with, well, not necessarily the issue. I mean, Warren has really been, he's been decent as a defender. Um, but when Victor is your best defender, uh, it's really difficult because you can't put him on the big guys like that. I mean, he's he's a he's a great great perimeter defender, but it's height matters. You know, if you're six four, you can't de- defend up on somebody six eight most of the time. You're not mo- unless you're Marcus Smart, I guess. But he's a stretch six, so we can't uh, can't always uh, equate that to the same thing. Yes, uh, Marcus, my my old friend Marcus Smart, who, uh, yeah. In fact, I was going through some of those clips you were talking about against the Celtics. And you don't have to go very far to start seeing a lot of just bad offense by Marcus Smart, just parenthetically. Uh, you know, defense is great for him, but, man, if you were going to talk about beating the Celtics, that's, he's, the, he's the Bledsoe version for the Celtics. And uh, he will shoot you out just as quickly as he'll shoot you in. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we definitely know about that a little bit in Indiana with Lance Stevenson. Right. Uh, you know, the other thing about the Bucs is they're, they're, not like, they're not the deepest team, really. You know, they're not scary once they get into down to their bench after the starters. And that's another opportunity there to, you know, try and take advantage of that. I don't know how the bench rated for the Pacers. Uh, do you have any in, in your off the top of your head? Oh, uh, the bench, we actually had one of the best bench lineups in the league. So it's the, the lineup goes Sabonis at center, uh, McDermott at the four, but normally Justin Holiday defends the fours. Uh, okay. And then Aaron Holiday and TJ McConnell as well. Ah, another UCLA product in Aaron yeah. Holiday, who I was a little surprised, by the way, that he's, he's doing really nicely. Um, I just felt I wasn't sure about him. I couldn't quite get a handle. I haven't seen him for a few years at UCLA, what I, what, how well he do. But, I mean, I think he's been a nice, pleasant surprise. I would say, uh, you know, Nate McMillan must feel the same way, right? Yeah. So it's actually really interesting. I just, uh, I just wrote an article uh, about him a couple weeks ago. Um, he's been much better this year. Last year, he kind of had a little bit of a, a gunner issue. So he'd just come in and just start jacking. Um, and this year, he's just struggled a little bit with inconsistency. You know, I mean, he's a second year player, so it makes sense. But the biggest thing is just he, uh, I mean, obviously, he's six foot, so he has to play point. Uh, but he, his ball handling just isn't there yet. He really, I mean, he's got the speed to beat guys off the dribble, but he doesn't have the ball handling to do it. So it rarely happens. Um, and I mean, his three-point shot has developed really well. I mean, he's shooting, I believe, 44% on catch-and-shoot threes this year. It's 43 or 44%, so that's been nice. But he's really not doing anything off actions. It's mostly catch-and-shoot. So we still need to see some development from him. But I think next year, I mean, he's a holiday brother. They all are incredibly hard workers. Um, (laughs) I would definitely 
Oh, yes, yeah. And, and they all develop, you know, maybe a little bit later uh, to some yeah, degree. Yeah, exactly. And, and you, know, you know, we certainly saw Drew have that um, mentality early on of just jacking it up and yeah. and he's gotten much better too. So I, 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 I like what they have coming off the bench and that would certainly be the place where you'd see the advantage that would determine games like in a playoff series between those two without question. Uh, it would have to be there. And uh, it's a real opportunity because, yeah, they're not world beaters coming off that bench. It's not as deep like, you know, the Clippers come, you know, bring Lou and they bring Harold and they bring, um, you know, there's two other guys that I'm forgetting right now that are solid, that are really, you know, can cause you problems and could win you a game at any game at night. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see the Bucks having that. They're all solid and they all know how to play within their system, but, that you know, there's a drop off for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a really interesting point. I think they have a deep bench but not in the way that other teams do because they don't have anybody who's going to come in and create their own shot like they have some really good role players and when Giannis is out there they're great uh, but on their own they're not going to do a whole ton um, that's yeah that's what it looks like for yeah, sure I fully agree with that so just kind of in closing uh when you're looking at this team in general uh where do you think the trajectory is over the next couple of years or, or what when you look at the Pacers what's what's your kind of view of them right now yeah I mean I think you know uh, um, you know, the traded stuff doesn't always, you know, I'm more of the on the court focusing and what do you have? Let's deal with what yeah. we have. But uh, I do feel like at some point they're going to probably look at this and realize, uh, you know, it's a small market team. It's not going to attract free agents necessarily, unfortunately. Um, and so they're going to have to kind of do it with trades and movement. Uh, so I, I just feel like they're going to hit that ceiling uh, with what they have. And that was, it's probably like a second round playoff team, you know, Fun, competitive, Oladipo, you know, if he can get back to where he was, which was, I thought, really amazing in, what was it, I guess two years ago now, right, in the playoffs? Is that Mm -hmm. what it was? Yeah, yeah, it was two years ago. Wow. Um, You know, I mean, talk about transformation where coming from uh, OKC and then he becomes this, like, you know, one-man offense, right, and and just controlling everything. And they don't necessarily need that much from him and that kind of focus, but uh, the fact that he could do it in the playoffs was really impressive. So, uh, obviously, he's a centerpiece, and they, they're going to probably end up having to move. I, I would keep uh, Miles Turner for whatever reason. I just, feel, I just gravitate toward a guy like that who just seems to um, – I think he's, he'll fit more of what the modern game is looking for going forward. Um, and so, he's the guy. Now, Malcolm Brogdon's a guy I love and who I thought the Bucks should have kept and not kept uh, Bledsoe. Although I don't think it worked with whatever the contract structure was. That's what they had to do. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, so he's a guy that they could develop around too. Uh, again, uh, he's a guy you dismiss. He's too slow. He doesn't have enough, you know, athletic ability or whatever. But he just makes plays. He's a basketball player. Yeah. So I, I've always loved him. So they have, uh, you know, some pieces. But they're going to have to be smart. And T.J. Warren, again, uh, you know, it, it, keep him and keep developing him. And hopefully he keeps that mindset of like, man, they gave me this opportunity. I, I really want to make sure that I, uh, you know, uh, live up to my end of the bargain and, and you know and continue that run uh, and then they can they can piece it around so it's tough again so right now again uh, second round playoff I think would be their ceiling uh, and then the question is can they get uh, a decent enough value um, for like a three and D kind of a guy for Sabonis and that would be a real big help to getting them you know another step farther again I don't know it's hard for me to picture anything beyond like conference finals then Mm-hmm. But um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a draft picked out there. I don't even know what they're. Where, what what pick do they have? Do we know? Uh, I want to say there's no. Uh, no, we traded our second in the Brogdon sign and trade. So I I'm th- putting in the spot all over the place. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. Um, <laughs> I yeah, crap. I'm trying to think because right now fifth seed, so it would be like pick twenty, just about. Um, they they have their own. Okay, I believe so. Um, and they might have another one. I feel like maybe somewhere out there they have another pick from someone. But either way, um, 
like maybe even the Oladipo trade. Is there still something floating around? Anyway, I don't know. But uh, the point being that, you know, you can make a look out with a draft pick there and then, you know, uh, uh, trade because they're not going to sign any uh, huge name, uh, unfortunately. So, you know, so they're, they're on a good trajectory as far as, you know, the market size and what they want to do and have a, a fun, exciting team. There's no, nothing wrong with that. Um, but if we're talking about the crucible of like getting the title or getting, you know, getting the finals, uh, they, they're just going to need to, there's, there's something that's going to have to happen. You know, uh, the will of the gods somehow will have to shine down <laughs> yes, and definitely. get them, you know, another really high level talent. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe uh, Victor can find, can get someone to join him. Yeah. Yeah. We, we hope so, man. Uh, you got anything exciting coming up this weekend? Just, uh, kind of chilling out. No. Well, uh, you know, we've been, we're all watching the, uh, last dance on Sunday. Yep. So last Sunday I released a video that went kind of viral uh, about the Bulls, and I'm going to do another one about uh, Jerry Krause. I feel like he deserves a little bit more credit than they were giving. Oh yeah, he's been getting uh, a little bit hammered. That's a yeah. understatement. And by the way, he deserves a lot of it. You know, yeah. rest, rest in peace. But uh, you know, he wasn't a nice guy, and he alienated a lot of people. But uh, on paper, there were enough moves uh, that were that required po- pointing out, and like even small little things. Every year, he would sort of add a piece that would really help a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and also, the, I think he might have even been the architect of um, uh, of really focusing on chemistry and how these players fit together. Yeah, uh, and I don't know if uh, that really existed much before then. And guess what? It's kind of not existing much now either. I think you know most of these GMs just sort of you know don't take that into consideration when they're adding some of these pieces. So. Uh, he deserves he deserves a little more credit, and I feel like he might even get some in this next episode three. But um, I want to you know, I'm going to get out ahead of it and drop it on Sunday morning so people can see it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Coach. Uh, to all you listening, uh, please stay safe out there. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you can get your podcast. And go Pacers! Just have a good rest of your day.